begin the lesson tonight, I certainly want to share with the congregation some information, some very good news concerning uh, Tony Allen. The elders and I uh, went to uh, her home. She lives with her mother, Lois Davis. Her mother was not able to visit with us. She was not doing well, but Tony uh, had received a letter of concern from the elders, and I appreciate the elders for their efforts. We've talked about uh, discipline on more than one occasion, and the elders here certainly believe in uh, discipline, loving uh, discipline, biblical discipline, uh, as all elders should, and we uh, certainly should appreciate our elders, and I know you do, uh, for that and for so many other things as they lead the flock here. But Tony had expressed the desire uh, after being contacted to uh, be restored, and so we had prayer uh, on her behalf with her this afternoon, and we wanted to make that announcement. She, uh, because of health issues, is not, uh, as she expressed, always able to be able to attend now, but she uh, has committed that she certainly will when she can, and uh, certainly we are uh, joyful uh, and rejoice that uh, uh, she has seen the need to repent and to make her life uh, Right, and we want uh, you to be aware of that and certainly covet your prayers continually uh, for her and for her mother who is not doing well health-wise, and of course Tony is not either. But again, let me say that I appreciate, uh, as I know you do, uh, the elders for their uh, concern for uh, doing all of the will of God, and that includes loving discipline. Uh, the process that never reached a point where withdrawal of fellowship had to occur in Tony's case, and we're thankful that it didn't. But certainly the elders would have followed through had she not repented and taken the last uh, step of discipline in a loving effort to try to restore her soul. And I appreciate that, and I'm sure you do as well, and I would appreciate it, and I know they would appreciate um, having you express that uh, to them because we certainly need to hold up the hands of, of elders who are determined to do all of the will of God. And uh, that is a part of the will of God as we have studied it, as we have uh, taught on it. And as you read it in Scripture, uh, one cannot escape uh, what the Bible teaches uh, on that subject. And so we need to uh, be uh, fully supportive uh, and well-informed as a membership about this process because that's one of, the, one of the problems that arises when discipline becomes necessary many times in a congregation. The congregation does not support it because the congregation uh, is not uh, where the congregation needs to be in terms of biblical knowledge about this subject. And uh, I don't believe that's the case here at White Oak. I'm thankful for that. And certainly we need to make sure that uh, we always are supportive of uh, loving discipline that is done biblically, that is done patiently, uh, that is done properly. And that's what the elders here are determined to practice, that kind of, of discipline, and I appreciate them for it. And we rejoice that Tony uh, has been uh, restored. Convinced or converted? That's what we talked about this morning as we began the lesson on the characteristics of of conversion, concentrating on the book of Acts and some uh, characteristics that we find there, beginning with a childlike spirit that one should have in order to uh, be receptive to being converted. What we talked about, the fact that being convinced of something is a far cry from being converted to something. 
And we cited uh, the rulers of the synagogue in John 12, 42 and 43. Nevertheless, even of the rulers, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They loved the praise of God, or the praise of men, more than the praise of God. They knew that once they made their belief in Christ known, they were going to be ostracized by their peers. They were going to be out of the synagogue. They were going to be cast out. And they didn't want that. They wanted to be accepted. And they were not willing to count the cost, another of the characteristics we looked at this morning. Their consciences perhaps were capable of being touched, another characteristic we talked about, but they wouldn't have a change of mind and direction, another characteristic about which we spoke this morning. And obviously, they had no opportunity to continue in the faith because they never became a part of the faith. Convinced, but not converted. Are there any individuals in the Lord's church anywhere today who may be convinced but still unconverted? Convinced there is a God. Convinced that Jesus is His Son, His only begotten Son. Convinced that the Bible is the Word of God, but are not really converted to Christ. We said the two words sound a lot alike when we say, oh, you've really convinced me of something, and we say, oh, you've really converted me on that. Those are not the same, biblically speaking. The two words sound a lot alike, but the difference in them is the difference, as we said this morning, between heaven and hell. That's right. Convinced is to be persuaded or to be satisfied. Converted is to turn completely, altogether, to embrace a religious belief without reservation. Repent and turn again, as the American Standard renders the phrase in Acts 3.19, as we looked at it this morning. Repent and be converted. That ought to help us to see the difference in the two terms. But tonight, as we continue some thoughts along this line of conversion versus being simply convinced of something, I want us to conclude our thoughts today by looking, first of all, at some people, some people who were convinced, but not converted, as far as we know. Now, some we know for a fact they weren't. I mean, in terms of of how they went away unless they changed their mind. In fact, that's the case with all of these. We know they were not converted in terms of anything being recorded in Scripture about their conversion, though they had opportunity. The first I'd like to think about is Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus came to Jesus by, by night, and oh, there's been all sorts of speculation as to why he came to Jesus by night, but that's all it is, is speculation, because the Scripture does not reveal who, uh, why this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus by night. But he did. In John 3, verse 2, he said, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so he obviously had some belief. He was convinced that he had to have come from God. Jesus did, in other words. And not only that, but he engaged in an exchange here that should have been sufficient in letting him know what he needed to do to be something more than convinced, but to be converted. And then a few chapters later in John, we see where this same man, Nicodemus, defended Jesus. You remember that they wanted to take Jesus, the, the rulers of the Jews did, but no one laid hands on him. And then the officers came back in verse 45 of John 7 to the priests and Pharisees, chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? And you remember the officers' response? They said, No man ever spoke 
like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Now, verse 50, Nicodemus enters the picture here. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night being one of them, parenthetical expression there from John, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. But here in John 7, we have another example where Nicodemus, this man who came to Jesus by night and said, You have to be uh, sent from God. No man can do what you've done unless he's from God. He later defends Jesus. Now turn with me to John chapter 19 in reference to this same man, Nicodemus. And what does he do here? After this, verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. He assisted in the burial of Christ. Here's Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, had that exchange with him about the new birth. He later defended him among his own peers, the rulers of the Jews. In John 19, he assisted in the burial of Christ. But nowhere in Scripture is there ever a record of his declaring himself openly as a follower of Jesus. Nowhere. In fact, it might be significant that in the account in John 19, since it is said of Joseph of Arimathea that he was a disciple of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews, and then Nicodemus is mentioned, that same thing is not said of him, if you notice. The only, the only attribution that's given here is the same one we saw earlier, who at first came to Jesus by night. And so there's no indication, no clear record, that he ever became a follower of Jesus. And yet look at all the good things that he did in relation to the Savior. Do you know anybody like that? Have you ever known anyone like that? Have you ever known anyone who was uh, more faithful perhaps in his or her attendance at, at services than, than many members of the church were and yet never obeyed the gospel? You can probably think of someone like that. But for some reason, being convinced obviously, otherwise they wouldn't be so faithful in attendance, they were never converted or perhaps were converted much later in life. My own grandfather, on my mother's side, attended services very faithfully in Temperance Hall, Tennessee, for years and years and years. But it was not until very late in life that he actually became a Christian. And I remember asking a first cousin up in Maryland at the time, who knew the situation, why did Pappy never obey the gospel until so late? And he had something she said in his head about a, a dispute he had had with someone who had wronged him terribly. 
And because he could not deal with that in terms of getting over that in his mind, he felt that he couldn't become a Christian. But I'm thankful to God he finally got over it before he died. And he did. A good man, a man who was there when the doors were opened, as I recall hearing, and as I, what little inf knowledge I have because I was fairly young when he died. So I know someone in that situation, but thankfully he did obey, finally. Convinced? It's not enough. We've got to be converted. Nicodemus, as far as we know, never reached that point. What about Felix? Remember Felix in Acts 24, before whom Paul uh, stood there, and uh, Paul had a sermon that had three very powerful points in uh, Acts chapter 24, verse 25. Felix had come there with his wife, Drusilla. She was Jewish, you remember. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. He heard him concerning Christianity, in other words. And verse 25 says, Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. He reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. That's a good sermon outline, really, isn't it? Righteousness, right doing, temperance or self-control, making sure that you're under control and the judgment to come, realizing that there is a day coming. There is, as we often sing, that great day coming. And it got Felix's attention to the extent that he trembled. He was terrified. Sounds like he might have been convinced, but never converted as far as we know. Because as far as we know, the convenient season never came. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. But there never was one, as far as we know. A few chapters later, Acts 26, here's another example of someone who was convinced, it seems, but certainly not converted, and that's Agrippa, again, before whom Paul stood. Agrippa, being familiar with the law of Moses, recall, because he was an Idumean, he was a descendant of Esau, and therefore he uh, was one of those upon whom John Hyrcanus, as we've talked about in Bible class, had forced uh, the Mosaic law upon, and they had moved south of Palestine into Idumea, and so the Herods were a part of that uh, country of Idumea, and so he was familiar with the law, he was acquainted with the law, and Paul addressed his remarks to him addressed his remarks to him, and um, went through what had happened to him. Verse 27, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Now, some have said that they believe that was said in derision, that Paul, with just this little amount of persuasion, you would try to make me a Christian? Maybe so, maybe not, almost. You almost persuade me to be a Christian. With his background of the law and with Paul's powerful preaching, I would not doubt that he was almost persuaded. But again, that is the text from which we obviously, someone got the idea to write the song that we sing quite regularly, almost persuaded, almost persuaded. 
almost, but lost. Convinced, but not converted. Scripture gives us plenty of example, doesn't it? What about another one? How about the rich young ruler? Look at Matthew's account of the Lord's encounter with this young man. A man who came to Jesus and, and uh, said to him, Good teacher, verse uh, 16 of Matthew 19, What good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? He expressed interest. So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God affirming his deity, incidentally, by that statement. If you want to enter life, Jesus said, keep the commandments. Of course, the commandments to which he referred involved the law of Moses because they lived under the law at this time. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. Isn't that a wonderful statement. All these things I have kept from what? My youth. In other words, as a young man, I have, I have been obedient to the law from a young age, something that is highly commendable. And then something else that is commendable, he says, what do I still lack? What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect or complete, Go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard the saying, that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus knew that man's heart, obviously, didn't he? He knew what stood between him and what? Conversion. The man was convinced, but the man was not converted. And so he went away in sorrow, because he had great possessions, and he would not part with those possessions. The difference in convinced and converted, the difference between salvation and eternal punishment. But you know, you may be able to think of some modern examples of those who seem to be convinced but not converted, and they're Lives in various ways seem to express that, perhaps by their attendance or lack of, by their lack of involvement in, in the activities of the Lord's kingdom, perhaps in their giving. In so many ways, we demonstrate, don't we, whether we are convinced or whether we are really, really converted. One man was supposed to have said, I don't believe 2 Timothy 3.12. You know what that says? We've looked at it before. Paul there in 2 Timothy 3.12 said, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And the man said, I've been a member of the Church of Christ for 17 years and I have never been persecuted. Well, did Paul say... All who are members of the church of Christ will never be persecuted? No, he said all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted. Some brethren never bump into the devil because they're both traveling in the same direction. And we need to make sure that occasionally we bump into the devil. 
because the devil is going to bump into us if we are doing what we are supposed to be doing. We're eventually going to have some problems with him, aren't we? But we can overcome those problems. But you know, some people never become discouraged because they're not involved enough in the work of the kingdom to become discouraged about it. Really, discouragement comes to those who are working hard, doesn't it? And by that, I don't mean that they, they fall away because they become so discouraged because they're working hard and they see those who are not and they fall away because of that, but they, they take notice of that, don't they? They take notice of that. Those who are working hard. Those who are not doing anything perhaps don't even notice, and therefore they don't become discouraged. I've already mentioned that our elders work hard to do the will of God and to carry out the will of God. And for that, I'm appreciative, and I know you are as well. You know, I think it could all boil down sometimes in terms of the failures of, of those in the kingdom who act as though they are more convinced than they are converted. The problem may be that they simply do not fully appreciate the standard that God has set before us and just how crucial that standard is and how important it is that we strive to bring our lives up to that standard that he has given us. It's like the illustration of the 14-year-old standard bearer who was during the Civil War carrying the standard and he got out ahead of the troops. And when he got out ahead of the troops, the major hollered at him and told him to bring the standard back to the troops. And that young 14-year-old was heard to, to shout back to the major over the, over the noise of the battle, Sir, bring the troops up to the standard. And that's what we need to do as elders, as preachers, as Christians. Seek to bring each other up to the standard and making sure that we're doing our best to live up to the standard and encouraging others to do the same based on what they see in us. Now, as we close our thoughts tonight, I want us to take just a moment and look at some who were really converted. One scriptural example of it is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. And it's a statement that, I think just speaks volumes about what we should be in terms of our, our conversion and what conversion really involves. It's a wonderful summary statement about what conversion really involves. Moreover, brethren, Paul writes, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift, he's talking about the contribution, and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints that they were taking that contribution to Jerusalem, remember? Then verse 5, and this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. 
they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. That's the key. Truly, as we talked about this morning, counting the cost, understanding the sacrifice that is involved, and being willing to make that sacrifice and giving all to the Lord. There was said to be a preacher in Africa by the name of Apollo. He was a medical student in Johannesburg. And it's said that only about a one in a million, one in a million Africans would get a chance to become a doctor. In his village, three out of every four babies died before they reached the age of four years. They didn't know about sanitation. They did not have access to medical treatment. And while he was in medical school, being from this village, he was converted to Christ. And after he was converted, he told the missionaries who had been responsible for his conversion, he said, I'm, I'm checking out of medical school in the morning. And they said, why are you doing that? Man, you, you, you have one chance in a million to become a doctor. And look at the tremendous service you can be to your people. Why would you even consider checking out? Why are you going to throw away two years of work in medical college? And he said, I'll tell you why. Because my mother and my daddy, my brothers and my sisters and my friends are dying every day out there in the bush country without Christ. That's why. And Apollo was said to have established some 17 congregations in Africa. Was he convinced or was he converted? I think the answer is obvious, isn't it? Two of the missionaries from the Lord's Church over in Africa kept hearing about some congregation there that was indigenous. No one had been there, in other words, to to take the gospel to them, but they kept hearing about this congregation that had just sprung up, an indigenous uh, congregation. And that does, does happen. Well, one day, these two missionaries finally got over to that village, and they asked about the Church of Christ. And they were told, yes, there is a Church of Christ here. They said, well, could we meet with some of the brethren? And when some of the brethren met with them, these missionaries asked them, who started the church? And they said, well, the blind man did. The blind man did. And so they began to inquire, and this is what they found out about the blind man. His name was, was Godwin Makwakwa. Godwin Makwakwa. He was a Dutch Reformed preacher who had been converted to Christ. He lost his eyesight at the age of 43, but he walked and crawled and stumbled through 80 miles of African jungle to take the gospel of his Lord to people and established an indigenous congregation there. Was Godwin convinced or was Godwin converted? The answer is obvious, isn't it? And that's the key. We have to make sure that we are among the converted, that we remain among the converted, and never simply fall back to being convinced 
or if we have not been converted and we're simply convinced, then we need to move forward to true conversion, don't we? Because truly, Jesus said that if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. And as we talked about this morning, that means a sacrifice of whatever degree, whatever nature, whatever is required. Yes, forsaking all, and who who does not forsake all cannot be my disciple. That must be the attitude. Whether it's the, the brother who gave up a once-in-a-lifetime, one-in-a-million chance to become a doctor in the country of Africa in order to reach precious souls and realize their greater need and what they needed more than physical doctoring was spiritual help, or whether it was a Godwin Makwakwa who blind and could have easily excused himself in terms of evangelism. They were willing to forsake all, whatever it took. And I know that I'm speaking to a great many people here tonight who are in that category, and I thank God for that. I hope I'm speaking to everyone in that category. But if you're not, think about it. If you're not, think about it and be honest with yourself. Are you convinced or are you converted? If you haven't obeyed the gospel, you certainly are not converted. And you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, repent of your sins, confess him to be the Christ, and be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. And then rise to continue in the faith, realizing that you've made the greatest commitment you could ever make or ever will make in life because it affects not just your life but your eternal destiny. If you haven't done those things, we plead with you to do that. And if you have but you cannot honestly say tonight that you are converted, to this moment in time, and that your life reflects it, then if it's something you can take care of that is uh, not known in terms of that lack of commitment, then please take care of that between you and your God. But if it is a lack of conversion and commitment that is known to others and that affects your influence and your relationship with God that needs to be restored in a public way, we plead with you to do it now as we stand to sing.